Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast with me, Marion Ellis, a chartered surveyor, coach, business mentor, and founder of the Surveyor Hub community. Each week on this podcast, I speak to surveyors and people in the industry about their careers, business journeys, and day-to-day work. Listen to their real-life stories, step into their shoes, and leave feeling connected to the conversation. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the practical implications of Heart v. Large, probably one of the most significant legal cases to affect the work of surveyors in recent years. And it's a panel discussion. Uh, I'm joined by my colleague, Phil Parnham from Blue Box Partners, and also Tim Jones, Leslie Milson, Jeff Hunt, and John Brownlow, all of whom are either consultants for Blue Box or volunteer their time to help administer the Surveyor Hub. So welcome everybody to the podcast and thank you for being on the panel. I sense we uh, might have some trouble or fun with you lots, judging by what it's taken in the last 15 minutes to get going. We're going to talk today about the practical implications of Heart and Large and you know, as we record this now, we're in what start of March. Um, there's been a few webinars out there, a few, uh, you know, sort of articles. Uh, Carrie De Silva, um, who who works for us, uh, does some work for us at Blue Box. She's written an article, and I'll put, put we'll put links to things as much as we can in the show notes and in the in the blog that we have. Phil and I got talking and thought, you know what, we really need to have a bit of a chat about. I guess the reality for surveyors out there who are really worried about what might happen, the, 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 I guess the risk, you know, of them carrying on doing work and something like this happening to them. So perhaps if I can go to Phil first, um, because you're the font of all knowledge, <laughs> uh, as he shakes his head. Can you, for those who have no idea what Heart and Large is, might be coming to this podcast, you know, for the first time, could you in just a couple of sentences explain what Heart and Large is all about? Well, I guess, uh, in factually, it's a, a court case that goes back to, and people can nod their heads at this on, on the Zoom screens, uh, 2011, something like that, where a, a practitioner, because what I would like to do is try and depersonalize it from you know mm-hmm. the individual involved a practitioner did a, a level two home buyer report of a, a, a large recently renovated stroke rebuilt property um on the south coast on the cliff top and uh that uh, report was uh, given to the clients there was some discussions with the clients post report delivery and uh, I think some advice given about the importance of verbal advice, given uh, the importance of uh, getting a professional certificate, completion certificate. Uh, on the basis of that, the uh, client bought the property and loads of defects became apparent over the next few weeks and months, resulting into a virtual rebuild of this quite prestigious property. And then the court case uh, ground on for 
many years, I suppose, and uh, recently came to a, a climax. And uh, the purchasers bought action against uh, the solicitors and who else? Somebody help me it, out. It was the, the oh, architects oh, as Architects, well. solicitors. Yeah. And um, they settled out of court and the resulting level of damages was awarded against the surveyor. Um, so, so it raised a number of issues that I think has sent shivers down the, the collective spines of the residential sector. So, so yeah. Mm. And, and it's a lot of money. You know, it went to appeal, and I think it was, you know, over £360,000, something mm-hmm. like that. You know, and there'll be other costs and other, uh, other things on top. And when I when I first heard about that, so as most of you will know, my background is in defect and valuation claims. And so I've read a lot of cases uh, in my time, um, some big and juicy, some really small and very annoying for a huge range. And when I heard about this and I got, because uh, we, we had a link for the, the details of what had gone on, the judgment, you know, what had gone on in, in court. I have to say... I got myself a large glass of red wine when the kids had gone to bed and sat down to have a good old read. And it was almost like a, a guilty pleasure in that, you know, you know that there's an individual behind this. And that's the, uh, the thing that's always in the back of your mind as a surveyor. And one of the things I've been that's been really inspiring actually in the surveyor hub and the surveying community is that everybody is thinking about, you know, the, the individual who's, be- who's behind this, but also just really get stuck in the detail of, you know, what went on and who did what and, and, and all the, you know, the bits and pieces. And as I read through, and it may have been that it was in the evening and I had a larger glass of wine, as I read through it, it was apparent that this is complex is it an unusual property? I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll talk about that um, as we talk today. But there are so many twists and turns and what ifs and hows and whys that as I look at it, when because the first thing you start to to look at when you when you see claims is who was it, what went wrong, and how can you prevent it? And it's in that prevention actually that's really challenging when you you know, when we don't understand it. It fully, and that's why I think it's important to have to have this kind of discussion. I mean, what are your, you know, for the, for the rest of the panel, what are your thoughts when you first, you know, sort of came across the case? Let's go to Jeff. Yeah, I, I, similar to you, really. It's that kind of that perfect storm of, oh crikey, <laughs> you know, where does where does this put us now? And um, and I think this this is this like brick wall that you hit with a case like this. And I think because you don't necessarily understand the intricacies of it and you know that this has gone to the legal stratospheres, that you want to kind of know, well, how does this apply on the ground? How how is it that if I looked at something now, what has changed? Is it is it such a rare beast that mm. you know the chances of it happening? Um, and that and that 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 does mean that. And then I also do think of there are other cases, aren't there, that sort of set these milestones, which we sort of bump over in the road and carry on. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there now that have not heard of some of the other cases which we were worried about 10, 15 years ago. So there is a little bit of history repeating, I guess. 
There is. And the, 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 you know, the case law shapes a lot of what we do. And it was, it was, um, you reminded me actually, two years ago, we did a Blue Box Road show. I don't know if you remember this um, film. We did a quiz and we tried to match the photo of the, of a, of a, the photo of a property to a legal case. <laughs> and we sent it out on email. I can't remember what case it was. Can you? But the, it was a really big one. Back oh, Rose Roberts v. Hampson, where, where we got the wrong house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the surveyor actually emailed us and said, no, that's not it. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, yeah. wow! We, we got the one across the road instead of the actual <laughs> one. Yeah. Not, not that we're technical experts or anything like that, you know. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, it, is it an unusual property or not? It's, a you know, the first thing that you, you do when you get um, the case... And you read through, you only ever get part of it. You don't get the full detail. You know, you don't get the surveyor's site notes. You don't get all the photos. You don't get all the rest of the evidence. So you're only ever looking at it through a, you know, a, a blinkered glass or a, you know, a particular angle. And we've got to be mindful um, of that. Anybody else? Leslie? Yeah, um, I think, well, I, and I think a lot of other people thought that um, the court would be in the um, surveyor's favour, and it was a shock to me that it wasn't. And my first thought was, but for the grace of God, go I. That could have been any one of us. Uh, We never go out to do a bad job or to miss a defect. If there's a defect there, um, there's some debate about, about that, I think, even. But yeah, it could be any of us. And now that we've learned a little bit more, um, it seems even more unfair because it was the legal aspects of it and how the barristers tie you in knots, really, rather than the actual facts, which I think some of them weren't that accurate. So where where does that leave us? Mm. And I guess it's looking at the, if you looked at, I guess, what I'd call a pure complaint you know, in it's sort of purest form, uninterrupted, somebody's done something wrong, you can evidence, you know, how and why that happened. But when you're dealing with legal cases that go that far of that size with so many different parties, you know, you're absolutely right, it gets tied up in knots. Uh, Tim? Well, apart from just go- going even more risk-averse than your, the normal, uh, and being a bit anal now when I'm looking at my own reports and, uh, and reports of, of people who work for me, I was a bit bemused why the um, – I, I can understand why they went after the surveyor, the architect, and the uh, uh, and the solicitor, but I I can't understand why they didn't go after the contractor either. Th- this was work done by a contractor. There would have been either a uh, – there would have been some form of contract in place and some form of liability would, in theory, have flowed through that, uh, that contract. And that's probably why the architect and the solicitor – settled because they had contracts that were obviously defective in their performance or they were defective in in their performance and so they could they could deal with that and uh yeah okay if the surveyor um was wrong in in identifying defects then uh maybe it it you know it it was something that should have come to fruition but i think that there's one 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 person or contractor that was missed out here. It seemed a bit strange to me. Hmm. John? Uh, well, unless I've misunderstood it, I think the reason they didn't go up the contractor is the, con- the contractor was contracted to the 
vendor, not not the purchaser, and not the architect, and not the solicitor, or not the, the, the surveyor involved. Yeah, but there's the Vice of Third Parties Act. Yeah. That um, I, I'm assuming they could have used that. Mm. Or if there I mean, I'm, I'm presuming there's a good reason they didn't get the contrast yeah, the to whether he wasn't was, an easy target. Easy pickings was um, yeah, absolutely, um, and it's yeah, absolutely. It's it, you, typically easy pickings. What's the straightest road through to get money back for actually for these people who are living in a home that's defective? One of the things that then came out uh, through the discussions in the hub and elsewhere on 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 social media that I saw is you know what is a PCC? You know what is this? What was it called? Professional certificates. Something, get, show my expertise here. Consultant. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, um, I mean, what's interesting about uh, the points everybody's raised is is that, like you said, Mary, it's a really complicated case. And, you know, I, I, I quite early on thought, right, okay, let's try and avoid all that. Let's try and look for the key lessons. Uh, rather than getting involved in they should have gone that or should have defended this. Let's say, right, you know, w- what's the key learning point? And, and I think it's that point that, that centred around this uh, professional, uh, you know, this um, uh, consultant's completion certificates or, or whatever, is, is trying to say how can uh, somebody that's buying a property be reassured about its quality? And I suppose for me, a PCC results or is a confirmation that uh, a professional has designed and supervised the scheme. I, I think that's the most important thing. It's not a thing in itself, that, but it, it really should be. Uh, and, and I think UK Finance and the Building Society Association all, all require a, a, a PCC uh, that, that really involves that that professional saying, "Yep, I've um, uh, you know visited the site. I'm confident that it's been done, uh, you know, in accordance with specification, building regs, and, and that sort of thing." And, and um, the important thing is is what what it isn't is some sort of insurance policy, some sort of uh, you know indemnity type of. Uh, product so that, that helps the the sale go forward so i think i think as, as a as a sector we've just got to take one step back and say what do we ex uh, do we expect a professional consultant certificate to to be mm. to provide um, and and you know this is this comes back to all of us that working in the built environment you know just like Everybody, you know, solicitors, conveyancers, mortgage brokers, you know, estate agents, everybody sort of in the home buying and selling journey, you know, we all rely on each other, you know, and there needs to be an element of of trust and, and standard. And, and similarly, when you look at properties that are altered, you need to be able to rely on other professionals, yeah. you know, and so whether that's, you know, warranties, guarantees. I get your point about, you know, it being seen as an insurance from a legal point of view, but really it's about the standard of work. And we need to be able to have that comfort that someone else has looked at it. And if not, then we've got to make the judgment and give the advice that we need to. Can I ask, have many of you come across a PCC before? So we've got- I've come across an architect certificate. Yeah, there's the same thing. I mean, architect certificates have been around for a long, long time in the days when, I was doing mortgage valuations, which is not for nearly 15 years now. 
it wasn't unusual on a <clears throat> either a one-off new build or a major refurbishment mm. for a lender to require an architect certificate or a certificate from a chartered building surveyor who had been involved in the scheme and supervised in inverted commas, but at least visited the site and still alluded to, and has checked certain stages of the construction and certified that it does meet mm. the spec and reasonable standards. It's, it's a, as, as Phil has also said, it's not, a it's not an absolute guarantee, but it's that comfort that somebody has been involved and the builders, if you like, developers haven't just been given free reign to do what they want and chuck whatever they want on the floor slab. I, I wonder, though, how many surveyors would know what one looks like and whether it was a, a valid certificate and that it's something that can be, be relied upon, you know, because not every property will go through through a lender and does a lender just pass the, the paperwork on, you know, where, where does it get verified? Uh, Leslie? Yeah, that was a point I was going to make. How how can we assess PCCs? There was um, a post on, I think it was a surveyor hub this week, I think it was Simon Pinto actually, who said he'd looked at one and there were lots of exclusions in it. You know, so how how knowledgeable do we need to be to be able to read through them and, and know that they are suitable and who's relying on us? Do the solicitors know? Do the banks know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that then comes on to, you know, as surveyors, our competence and our experience. And and what I'm hearing from a lot of surveyors and sensing from some of the comments uh, and posts that I'm seeing is that actually they feel a bit not just vulnerable because, you know, you know, as you said, Leslie, this, you know, in many ways this could have been been any of us, but also thinking, well, do I know enough? And actually, do you know what? I'm not going to do properties that are, inspect properties that are significantly altered. You know, but the reality is, you know, what should a surveyor, how, you know, what should a surveyor know? You know, what, how, if you start to slice and dice the work that you don't, you don't do through fear, then there's not going to be a lot of work left for you. And therefore getting some training, getting some improving your knowledge, asking the question, getting curious you know, and that's all part really of a surveyor with, you know, lifelong professional learning and CPD going going forward. I think in the past we could probably have um, relied on, on them a little bit more. But now I think there'll be a lot of vendors needing to get one in a hurry. And we're going to have to be very aware of who the certificates have been issued by and the dates on them, because um, I believe most lenders won't accept retrospective PCCs, you know, what what do the vendors do if they haven't got one? Well, and we we had a case recently um, uh, in the hub where someone had had a similar similar situation, they'd had a retrospective uh, certificate done and they ended up, you know, the conveyancer issued an indemnity warranty, which was really just to keep things moving, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of conveyancers who don't, who don't like to issue those because they're not worth the paper they're written on. Jeff? Yeah, I think the irony is is that even if the vendors had got these certificates, they're not warranties anyway. From what I understand of what the defects were, none of those certificates would have suggested that those things were wrong. In fact, they'd have given completely the opposite impression that everything was fine. So that's the irony. And the irony is that the, the practitioner, the only reason that the judge 
made him liable for everything, whether he saw it or not, was because he didn't say you've got to get one of these certificates. And yet here we are saying, well, what are they worth? And are they worth anything? And the way I look at it is, is that they don't, I can't add any more to the risk of that certificate. I can only tell you what I see and what I assume. And if that certificate says that, well, the chances are your assumptions could be correct, that's as much as you're going to get. And, you know, I think the idea that you can, you know, just keep writing in, unless you have a PCC, don't proceed to purchase, that's me done. I, I don't know. I think we've got to come up with other with other phrases than just that. But I think that's what I've from what I've read on on the hub that that's what people are going to say. They're going to say, "Oh well, I'm just going to insist on seeing a PCC," and then everyone's going, "Hang on a minute, you don't you don't have PCCs for everything." Yeah, so, I think that's I think that's a good point, Jeff, because we've had suggestions that a loft conversion must have a PCC. Well, it's just not going to happen. You know, on a fifteen grand loft conversion, nobody's going to pay. Three, four, five grand to have an architect visit every week and sign it all off. Yeah, but where this where this case blows the doors open is that up until now, a surveyor was not liable for things he'd never seen. Yeah, or her. And now, this is the case of well, if you don't ask for a certificate, you will now be liable for everything. And that, to me, that that seems to suggest a bit of an ongoing trend that people are losing faith in these certificates mm-hmm. and and building regs, and they're going to make the last person who looked responsible. And I think that's pretty much what the judge did. He said, well, I can't pick on anybody else, so we're going to go for the surveyor. Phil? Yeah, I think one thing that we've sort of come up with within Blue Box or in discussions with others and things, that this new concept of um, megaphone advice. And I think that's what was partially missing in um, the Hart case, is, is that... You know, I think recommendations were made to, to, to get a PCC, but almost uh, in hindsight, but 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 not very loudly. And and I think we've just got to be clear, a little bit more clearer in our reports about what we are recommending. You know, like um, the, the summary at the start of most standard reports. In you know that uh, saying at a meeting the other day, that that phrase where surveyors uh, time and time again say, as long as you're prepared to accept, you know, the repairs and maintenance uh, identified, then it's a, a reasonable purchase. We, we've got to start using that more clearly as a summary uh, and highlighting bits of saying. Um, this this is a complex property, and uh, you know uh, you, you must see some evidence of a PCC or, or its equivalent. If not, then the risk of you know defects will be high. And and I think that's where we have got to use our surveying skills and our technical knowledge. Even though we can't develop X-ray vision and things like that. We've got to, I suppose, identify building complexity, I think, and say, look, here's a property that's on a cliff top. It's it's got a partial structural frame in there somewhere. It's got tanking and all of that sort of stuff. And so the risks are high. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's just um you know using that facility more. I think that's really important, Phil, and we often talk about um helping our clients make an informed decision, you know, to proceed with their purchase. But actually, we're also looking at helping them weigh up the risk, you know, the risk 
of not having a certificate, the risk of something that might happen that we couldn't see and the likelihood of that risk. But there's a real reality and context of that risk that I suspect that some surveyors have no idea about. You know, there are some surveyors who have never bought and sold a property before, you know, particularly new surveyors uh, in, into the profession. There are surveyors who have never seen a building constructed. They've never got uh, involved in, you know, hands-on building work and to see how it's all done. They've never done a big extension themselves. They've never had to apply to a PC for a PCC certificate. They've never had to have damp treatment done. And so whilst on paper you can say this will help you make an informed decision, consumers and customers are wanting more of what's the real reality of this risk. And so whilst I get your point that, yes, technically we need to improve you know, what we're saying in our reports, so we know reports can always be better, but also putting ourselves in, and that, you know, in your customer's shoes, understanding the real risks, the decisions that people might have to, to make in a culture that, do you know what, there's, there's quite a, a fearful culture out there post-Grenfell on safety of what might happen. You know, might this, might this building fall down off the edge of this cliff? And it's putting it into context for that. And I wonder how many surveyors would feel confident to, to talk to their clients like that. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, I, I, and when, when you're talking to your client, part of the problem is you've got to put it in a language that they understand that doesn't send them into apoplexy because and that, that can easily be done. So there's also this this thing of saying, oh, well, it'll be all right. Get the, get the PCC, it'll be all right. And, and, and I think this is this is another problem with that with what this certificate does and i think and i think we also have to kind of explain that it in itself is not a warranty so i i think one of the key one of the key things about this case though from from, from people who are not as experienced is when you start to look at a property and you start to think well that's not quite right and that's not quite right and that's not quite right you've got to keep keep digging because as that, that little ticking time bomb goes off that will add up to quite a big thing. If you you can look at a little thing and go, oh, well, that's that's what it's a little thing. But then when you think, well, hang on, I've seen about 20 little things here, that doesn't seem quite right. And that's that's the alarm bell to go off. And I, th- and I think I've got a funny feeling that in this case, whilst we get to look at it from really from the top down, from what this what the legal side have beamed down back down to us, which doesn't seem to make any sense to me whatsoever, is how how do we put this into practice and I, th- and I think you we we work from the ground and we say well this is what we see and if we see a significant amount of evidence that suggests that hang on a minute there's a story behind this house that might not be right so if we check to see if the pcc certificate was issued and we get silence then that might be telling us an awful lot about this house and maybe that's what was lying behind all this i i have a funny feeling that a lot of people knew that that house was not right and that the surveyor was kind of set up. And we see this quite often. You'll walk into a house, I call them magnolia makeovers. You know, you're you're in a magnolia room with white skirting boards and it all looks the same. And they say, Oh yeah, it's been done by a developer, you know, you know, it's been done done two years ago, absolutely fine. And you'll go, Really? <laughs> you know? So if Prove I tap it's not. Prove it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why am I tapping this wall and hearing a hollow sound? You know, what's that all about? I think for the 
practitioner's point of view, and particularly for the young, some of the younger surveyors, those who are fairly new to the profession, many of them are on the hub and asking questions and learning and developing. I think it's important that whether we as more senior people, hopefully with the assistance of the RICS, who have been, seem to have been a little bit silent on, on, on coming forward to support the profession in this. I mean, it would very much help if the RICS said, we, we hear the judgment, we know what the court has said, we cannot accept that our members have, can be expected to see through solid walls, et cetera, et cetera. Put it in some sort of context of what happens for surveyors at the sharp end. But I think for those who are scared by this, and not minimising it, I'm, I'm apprehensive myself, but it is, it is a bit of a one-off. If you think how many thousands of surveys are done a year, and over, you know, I've been a survey for 35 years, I've looked at a lot of houses, I've had the odd one that's not gone quite right, and I've had to, you know, apologise, pick up the tab a little bit occasionally. I've not had anything as bad as this. And I'm pleased to say, mm-hmm. hopefully I won't in the few years I've got left in, in my career. It's not going to happen that often. This is a, it's a bit of a one-off. You know, it's a catastrophe for the people involved. But I think what we need to do is, is draw some context out of it. We, we cannot all go back into a shell and say, oh, you mustn't buy this because we've got this certificate, not this certificate. We've got to try and guide the profession through this. It's, it's choppy waters, but it is... I think, I think you're right, John, in terms of context. You know, the number of defect claims that actually get to court and become visible yeah. are few and far between. That's largely, though, because a lot of the firms will settle yeah. or go through mediation or some kind of ADR route before it ever gets to that. So to get to this, you know, for this case, to get that far, go all the way through to appeal is quite unusual. I think we don't know really enough about the number of because there aren't stats anywhere you know the number of defect claims across the board you know because quite frankly it's a source of shame mm. you know we don't go out there and say oh i've had all these complaints and claims you know <laughs> we deal with it we you know we deal with it we bury it we we yeah no banners we deal with it we bury it we learn from it we settle it you know but and the insurers don't really talk to each other either and so there is that element of actually you know could this be a bigger problem we we, we don't know and then when you actually you think about new build and the quality of new build homes out there you know there's loads of really poor homes out there and you do wonder you know you just mentioned about RICS and their uh, their responses and they have issued some responses and we'll put the any links that we can find into the show notes but I know Phil that you've been part of a recent round table that RICS held. Is there anything you can share from that? Yeah, yeah. well, they, they invited a few people, a, a representative sample of, uh, I suppose, the residential uh, sector, including people from insurance companies, loss adjusters and, and, and whatever. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they've, um, well, they recorded it. It was on Zoom or Teams or whatever. That fancy uh, technology, yeah. That, fan, that, that fancy <laughs> technology stuff. And they've got a transcript, and I think they're going to use that as a basis of uh, producing articles and uh, for Modus and and uh, one other, uh, you know, a few of the other publications. So hopefully that should be um, out soon. But but Tim, Tim, you you were going to, hmm. um, yeah, I, I was gonna, agreeing with John, and I I think we perhaps got to put this into perspective. The the scale of the problem. The only times I've encountered PCTs are with very, fairly high value builds. 
the last one was last year, which actually the uh, PCC was in place, uh, completed by an architect. I think it was about a two, two and a half million build, but the, the, the build quality was appalling. And I thought back about what I found there last year and looked at the heart case and it was very similar. Really bad damp in basements, uh, structural problems. There was a lack of flashing around chimneys, for example. You know, just water pouring in, guttering, leaking everywhere. It was only a year old. And uh, I, I did a report based on that. Now, uh, what should have happened with that, I think, is that the vendor should have been going after the builder or and or the architect. But they dropped their price by about a million quid to get rid of the property. I don't think they wanted the hassle. And I was employed by the purchaser who wanted my view on, on all these defects and, uh, and how much they were going to cost him to, to remedy. Fortunately, he's a wealthy guy. And, and me turning around and saying, well, you could have up to three quarters of a million pound worth of, of defect repairs to, to complete. He didn't, it, wasn't, it didn't phase him at all. You know, then he got in his Daimler and drove off. You know, that was sort of the uh, situation there. When you in your Daimler and drove the other way, did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I would call myself probably small building surveying practice, uh, residential valuations, building surveys. I've encountered over the past 10 years, three maybe, one of which was a, uh, a, a real dog's breakfast. Most of the time, it's people removing chimney breasts and knocking through from the dining room into the lounge or vice versa and sticking a, a bit of a bendy beam in uh, with no building regs approval, uh, no approved inspector's uh, approval. That tends to be the norm. And, and that's just my, you know, what I see over the thousands of surveys that we've done over the years. It's that, that sort of little... The builder saying, oh, you, you don't need approval for a flat roof. You don't need an approval for, for, for this. We'll just stick a little bit of uh, angle iron underneath that chimney breast or the chimney and uh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And then they disappear into the ether. Then the nasty surveyor comes along and causes havoc and uh, prop the, pro yeah, the property <laughs> deal falls through. And uh, yeah, oh, I, I, I think <laughs> That, that's okay, and that's as it ever was. We've, you know, we've been shattering dreams for years, haven't we? <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, the lack lack of building regs for an RSJ in an opening between two reception rooms and a three bed semi is not quite the same as no, no, no supervision not. certificate for tanking and mm. underpinning and piling and glass roofs and all the things you see in these fancy houses. I think the difficulty for most practicing or practicing surveyors here. It's going to be where do you draw the line? You don't need a PCC for a 10, 10 feet kitchen extension. You don't need it for a small loft conversion in a terraced house. You might need it if the roof's been completely lifted and it's been made from a true bungalow into a dormer bungalow with five bedrooms and two bathrooms upstairs. And, you know, that's where you might be questioning, perhaps this should have some certification and some supervision. And you certainly ought to need it on a one-off new build or a re major remodeling, a barn conversion something like that, um, I think. But it is going to be this question, this sliding scale of at which point do you say as a surveyor, this trip's in here, it ought to have some sort of certification and, and some comfort that a professional was involved from the start, not just me coming in at the end, 
because it's too late then. You know? So, so how do you do that? Well, actually, I, I have a, a working example of one I did a couple of weeks ago, which was a barn conversion, listed building, and the guy who lived in it refurbished it. He's a developer com- contractor. I've seen him around. I don't know him personally, but I think he's got a reputation. And he'd done this for himself. He did it in 2012. He didn't get finished till 2015. I've done a building survey on it, and I've found very little wrong with it. It all looks good. It's good quality work, good quality fittings. And I asked him when I got there, did you have an architect involved? Oh, yeah. Is there an architect certificate? No. Well, you've got building regs. Well, I've not got the final certificate yet. <laughs> it's not been signed off from 2015. So, I, you know, I've had to go out on a limb a little I've not found anything significant wrong with it. But I've, in the light of the, um, the climate we're in now, in the Hartley large case, I have pointed out that an architect certificate would have been nice, would have given some comfort that somebody had been involved. But beyond that, I can't see. It's, it's had a concrete block in a leaf to create cavity walls inside the old half-metre thick stone wall. Can't see it. I can't see the DPC where it's should be sat on the concrete slab. Can't even tell whether the floors have got DPM in them. No reason to think they haven't. The guy's lived in it since 2015. It's not ringing wet. But... You know, you have to you have to make a judgment call, don't you? Now, if the workmanship had been poor quality, as Tim has mentioned on the one he was involved in, and that's the signs, it, it isn't yeah. it? It's looking for the the small signs, and yeah. usually that comes back to trusting your gut instinct. Exactly, of something smells a rat somewhere. Hopefully, not literally, but you know <sighs> that something's not quite right. And I'm I'm following that following that through. Um, one of the things that came up through the you know, the the judgment and the, the, the correspondence and documents and things that we've seen about this case was, you know, about whether it was the right service. Because this was a home buyer's report, I believe, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And and that sort of sparked conversation over, well, it should have been a building survey, you know, and this is, you know, this looks like a typical property. You know, there's nothing unusual about this property. Now, some of us who are you know, the, the properties that I used to inspect are little terrace houses in Croydon, whereas other people, this could be their bread and butter. Uh, so I guess, you know, coming back to, is this an unusual property? What kind of report? Should it have been a level two? Should it have been a level three? What are your thoughts on on that, Phil? Well, I, I suppose under the home survey standards, um, just to try and um, um, connect it to that, is that that, that decision over the level of service I, th- I think it's more explicit now under the home survey standard in, in my view you know th- th- there's more uh, criteria to meet and and um f- for me that decision uh, about whether it's a level two or level three depends on quite a few interrelated factors including the you know the knowledge and skills and and you know background of the surveyor uh, whether they're you know more technically orientated or um, you know more orientated towards evaluation ends, but also the building itself, and not only through age, uh, that that decision about whether it's a level two or a level three, just based on age, is just too two dimensional in 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 that sense, and it brings in this uh, complexity definition. 
that, that if the building has been refurbished, extended, uh, unusual construction methods, then, then it's likely to require a level three rather than a level two. Um, so, so yeah, you know, that, that would be, be my view. Mm. Leslie? Yeah, I think I read somewhere, I'm not 100% sure it's right, but that the buyer's report was got back to the client in the same day. Is that, yeah. It was, um, it was quite quickly, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Well, that was the thing that really, really struck me when I, you know, started looking into it, that I wouldn't have even thought of um, inspecting a house like that and getting any level of report back the same day. Yeah, but that's uh, that's very controversial, and um, but that's just how I would work. Yeah, and I think there's an element there of, you know, allowing enough reflective thought. And that's something that surveys we we need to do. And the whole conversation of quick turnaround time, same day reports, you know, with the right technology that can happen. Is it the right thing to do? Question mark. Does it allow for reflective thought? You know, I need to go back and have a look, you know. I'm not John. I'm not even I'm not even sure it's something that most clients want. There's always gonna be some. It can be absolutely, it can be managed. But the vast absolutely majority, managed. if you say, look, you know, I've had a look at it today or you, I'm going tomorrow, it's quite a, it's obviously quite a complex building. It's going to take me a few days to get my thoughts together. They'll, they'll understand that. It's manageable. I mean, I've got one at the minute where I've got 200 photographs and I was there four hours and they've still not had the report and it's two weeks ago, but they're, hang, they're hanging on because they know there's a lot to go in it. And I've given them a pricey, I've given them a summary. Now, luckily, it's a, it's a project and they've already got an architect and the contractors use my notes and he's now progressing their bit, doing the, the plans and, what, and the costings while I'm bearing my report. But if you, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, in all honesty, issue a report on a two-bed terraced house the same day. I don't like it. I'd always hold it back even if it was ready. I'd hang on to it for 24 hours. And it's interesting because some surveyors sell that quick turnaround yeah. time and as an advantage mm. when if you speak to clients and understand their motivations for wanting it back quicker, sometimes it's because we've told them we'll do it mm. quickly and it's part of the service. Other times it's because, you know, they're completing next week and they've only just decided to, <laughs> to have a survey and what are they going to do with it anyway? Or more often... If it comes through as a scheme two, which is a, a mortgage valuation and a survey, a homebuyer survey at the same time in whatever combination, it's usually driven by, you know, KPI, key performance indicators by the lender who expects jobs to be turned around quickly. So I think there's something there for surveyors to really think, do I need to put myself under this pressure to turn a big juicy job around quickly? And can, how can I give myself the time to necessarily do it properly, but to do the to do the best job that you can, you know, and and to approach it in a positive way rather than sort of being quite fearful of I don't want to get it wrong. Give yourself the time to get it right. You know, I, I think in, for, for me, like a, a level two in my mind is a sort of a sort of one not one fits all, but it's a very sort of templatey kind of. It is kind of in that volume sort of sector where we wouldn't necessarily expect to find problems that need enormous explanations and i and i can see i can see a place in the market for that and and i would imagine that, that if you are doing day to day just going around looking at fairly modern houses with not too much to think about that you're 
mental thinking process doesn't necessarily think, hang on, that's like six small things I've seen in this house now. I do think sometimes that the, the, the less experienced surveyor somehow gets given the impression that, oh, you're only supposed to look for the big things. You know, if it's only going to devalue it by about 10, 15%, don't worry about the rest. Don't bother putting that in. Well, I beg to differ on that. I don't think you look any less hard just because you're doing a level two. You must look as hard when you're doing a level two as you would do a level three. I I, I, I agree. I agree, Jeff. We always make the point we do the same inspection. It's the content of the report that's different. Yeah. And I'm not a great fan of, I mean, I don't mind having the different levels. I know that the people that are out there who disagree with me, but I'd rather have a good level two survey on most types of houses than poor level three. And I've seen some poor level threes. I've seen one, and I, was, I usually say to people, tear the front page off. It doesn't matter what it says on the front page. We call the gold-plated five-star platinum survey. If it's five pages long with one photograph, <laughs> it's, it's, and I, I have seen them. But platinum five just means five pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, me, let me ask you, um, Phil, um, as, we, as we're sort of moving on, I guess, to the home survey standard. So as we as we sit today, the home survey standard date, 1st of March, has just happened. Woo-hoo, we've got some tools and bits and pieces on the RICS website. And again, we'll put a link to that in the, the show notes. But does the home survey standard make any difference whatsoever to the outcome of, of this particular heart and large case? Well, I would like to think it does, you know, but as I always say, you would expect me to to say that. I think by by going back to what I said before uh, about having a much more structured approach to the commission, the instruction, the service. And and I think what, for me, the Home Survey Standard really focuses on is working with the clients. And, And I know people around these monitors here are... Uh, very big believers in that is is where possible uh, talking i say talking in inverted commas communicating with the client before they sign the terms of engagements finding out what their concerns are you know what they want to look at and, and then once you've done that once you've done your inspection once you've done your report um and the client's read it or not depending on what their choice is discussing those concerns again or, or any questions that arise so so, so really trying to com, you know connect with the clients and, and then also being very clear about what service the the practitioner can offer what their skills and uh, abilities uh, allow them uh, to mm. do uh, and also just um you know just being absolutely clear on on the service that you want to provide I mean, it's interesting to, to John say about, uh, you know, the, the, there's almost one sort of inspection. The, the main thing that varies is the report that arises from it. I, I don't quite agree with that myself, or it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. But you know what? That's the good thing about the home survey standard. If that's the product you want to offer to people, as long as the client is clear on, mm-hmm. on what they're buying, then, 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 yeah, you, you, you can bring any uh, emphasis in there. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful about the HSS, um, uh, uh, and I'm just would, uh, you know, ask practitioners to look at it very carefully, 
think about the implications and how they can adjust their own approach to make sure that they don't end up in a similar situation. I think some of the challenges for surveyors out there is actually the HSS gives them a bit of freedom and empowers them to do the kind of reports they've always wanted to do and give their clients and that their clients deserve. And yet we seem to go down this or they get sort of stuck in this rut of using templates or we call them, we call them products, you know, templates. And, and that, that to a degree makes it easy, you know, sort of gives it a, a transactional nature to, to, uh, to what we do. But it's a real opportunity to think about, here's me and my coaching, you know, why you're a surveyor and why you do what you do and what you want to do. But it's a real opportunity to, to, to do the work that you really want, want to do. And you're absolutely right. It's got, to be, it's, got, it's got to be clear. Yeah. Leslie, anything from you? No, just going back to what John said, I find that clients, um, this is a real 1980s estate agency term, the more discerning client takes takes comfort in you saying well this is complicated you know it'll take me time I don't want to rush it I want to get it right yeah and that is all just about interacting with the client I I think I think you're right there because what you're showing is you you respect the property yeah uh, and what it means and and also what customers are looking for is that you know they, they want to know that they've they've made a good choice in you and the property mm. and in you showing your expertise and that you take your time yeah, and the reasons why shows that, yeah, you, you, you value the property and what they do. And you're a master of, of skill in, in what you do, whether you suffer from imposter syndrome or not, you know, but, oh, but yeah. they, but cause we all do that as, as, as expert surveyors, you know, but um, yeah, they, they really want to hear that. So let's just, move on and and talk about limiting our liability because one of the difficult things that came out of this case was the surveyor uh, had retired and was on his using his runoff cover and the cover that he had didn't cover the cost and hence it all got very uh, sticky and unpleasant what what more things can surveyors do to limit their liability and, and, and in your practices and your businesses, what have you done, if anything? Don't go out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave the house. <laughs> I mean, the, the obvious one is the liability cap, but I'm not sure it's really been tested through the court yet, has it? I think at the end of the day, if you drop a planker, the court's not going to come down on your side just because you've limited your liability to 50 grand. Though. It's just not going to yeah. work, is it? And, and for those who... Um, who who don't know? So a liability cap is effectively a claw, a reasonable clause in the in your terms with your client that says, you know, if if it all goes wrong, you can't sue me for more than X number of pounds or however many times the value of the property, etc. So it just puts some reasonable context into it, I guess. Mm. It's interesting you say that. I'm, I'm just doing the uh, um, the EWS one training and. Uh, as part the, of that, the, the, cla- the cladding training, sorry, isn't yeah, it? The yeah, external yeah. wall system training, and uh, part of that course is stating that you must put a cap on any liability, which is it's an RICS course, so the RICS is saying that we must do that, and and I think my my view is the same as probably 
a few of you in the room that it's probably not worth the, the paper it's written on because if you you put a 50 gram cap and there's a million quid's worth of damage, the, the judge, if if they find you at fault, is going to go after you for a million. And we'll probably find some legalese to say that the 50 gram cap was uh, neither here nor there. Um, bit, uh, a little bit strange coming from the RICS, that. Yeah. Well, I guess it's driven by lawyers. You know, in, in any contract, you would look to limit your liability. And so if that helps in the future, and I think what we also need to remember, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10 was pretty dire for many surveyors. When we had the, the last recession, lots of surveyors got sued for all sorts of things. And much uh, hasn't been tested since then, you know, defect or valuation wise, really. You know, and so we, we don't know whether these things will make a difference. And at some point it will be tested, but, but, you know, but we just don't know. Leslie. Yeah, I heard something interesting yesterday, actually. So as we all know, the PI premiums are, are going up massively. And a, a company that I know of, um, to get insurance, they've just reduced their um, liability from um, 10 million down to 1 million of cover. There's not ever so many million pound properties in Lincolnshire. But in light of this case, you know, it is is a million pound enough and are people just going to take a risk and surveyors going to take a risk and go for a lower cover in the hope that they won't well the problem so, you've got the, the problem you've got with that is if you if you work for a uh, one of the panels they expect a million cover now i'm you know i i signed up to work for a panel and increased my cover up to a million just by virtue of that, that allows me to get work. Uh, I've no intention of of going after work where I need five million, ten million cover. I, I, you know, it's bad enough. We're discussing our, our current quote for this year, and it's ridiculous. You know, the jump we've we're 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 making, but it's it's just one of those things. You know, you uh, if you want the work, you've got to pay for it, or you've got to you've got to have those those specific levels. It's, it's uh, like you're caught between a rock and a hard place. You need the increased cover because the work we do has become riskier, particularly on the surveying side, not just the valuation side. And yet the premiums have just gone stupid crazy, arguably depending on who you speak to, though. You know, and I think there's a, a lot going on there, not just in terms of PI, but broker behavior and the way that brokers operate. And then, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if you want to get certain work, you've got certain requirements like on valuation panels. So surveyors have got really tricky balance to try and get it right. And that only lasts for a year because then you've got to do it all again and apply again. And let's mm-hmm. see what the market is doing then. Jeff. Yeah, I think the thing to remember with a, a case like this, there are so many strange things in this case about what the judge was convinced. And there was a question about, you know, was the judge you know, capable of, of understanding this thing? And, and the answer is, well, no, he's, he's just there to to balance the evidence he's got. So the, I think the key thing here is there was, there was some very key pivotal points what caused the claim to be the size that it was. That in itself was unusual. It would not have gone to that if it weren't for the way in which the other side had, had debated their argument. So I have to say that if this case ever came close to being similar again, it would be fought in a different way, a much more robust way. Mm. It would not allow the kind of technical arguments from the other side to be anywhere near uh, put in front of a judge or, or or would be robustly fought off 
I mean, the idea that you could only remedy the basement with a, you know, with a tanking which had no joints is crazy. You know, I mean, and 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 the way the valuation was done is people have thrown their hands up at this. So I do think that really we all learn from this and we all adapt and we all adjust. And we probably don't need to do anything different. We just need to be aware of when we feel that that we that if that additional certificate would add to our conclusions, then that's when we should say it. And what we should also then say is if you don't have that, then there is no remedy for you. My my advice and my observations, my visible observations, will not better that. You'll only take the risk up to that point, and so therefore you have to take the risk up to that point. If you don't have that certificate, there isn't anything else, and you now have to take. You now have to take the choice. And I don't. I don't believe that we should sit behind caveats. I don't believe that we should just throw out random statements that just simply say for every house we look at, don't buy this house unless you've got a PCC, because that doesn't make mm. any sense at all. So we don't. We we have to understand when these things are relative and we have to understand that our job and our role is still as important with or without that document. But the key thing is, if we feel that that document is necessary, we should say so, because that was the pivotal point between the difference between him giving advice and giving information. And that's what the crux of the matter was. But I honestly think that it would be, you know, we all we all fight. We all live to fight another day. And I'm pretty sure that case would not go the same way. No one's going to allow that case to crop up ever again. Even if it was similar circumstances, I think the fight would be different. Because I think everybody was off-footed. Everybody was off-footed by that whole thing. And one of the key things was both of the expert witnesses agreed that he should have asked for PCC. And that really was kaput. Yeah. Phil? It, it was interesting at the RISS roundtable. Um, it was nice to have insurers, PII insurers, you know, uh, uh, around there. And a couple of them were, were absolutely gobsmacked that this thing went to court. You know, they, they said, look, I, I, you know, one guy was very upfront and he says, look, I know surveyors hate this, but we would have settled business case well before. And, and I suppose I, I remember one oh, years ago, one barrister uh, sort of saying that uh, the thing he loves to hear is a surveyor saying, but it's the principle. <laughs> you know, it's the principle I want to push through here. Okay. Get your checkbook out. Yeah. yeah. And do you know, Phil, in all the complaints and claims that I dealt with over the years, I'd hear that a lot. You know, it's the principle. When do you fight? And you've got to make commercial decisions. You know, and that's where, you know, unfortunately, that's when you come a cropper because it's not just the, you know, the one pure defect or, you know, the one part of the complaint that you're dealing with. It's the whole bag of stuff of who said what, where and when and what was involved and timing and typos and anything else. You know, it just becomes so complex. And, but but, but yeah. you, you know, Marion, that that behind this is that human story and every one of us looking in our monitors now have we've made a mistake you know yeah. and john you you were saying i you know I, i've made a mistake and and it leads to a payout you know and, <laughs> and 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 this house that i made a mistake on i was i'm quite open about my mistakes is um this house i made a mistake on it, it happens to be on on one of my favorite walks in derbyshire Right. And, and I don't know about anybody else, but every time I walk past that house, I, I walk past the bottom of the garden. It's quite a large garden. I feel sick. Yeah. 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 
Do you know, and, and this I'm talking years ago now, and, and yeah. it hasn't settled down yet. And that's behind it, isn't it? That's behind. Well, it's the principle. No, I got this right. You know, and there are surveyors who aren't able to get to court to defend their their, their position because their insurers are cutting them off at the legs and saying, no, business case, we're settling. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. And and as experts, you know, we've got professional pride in the work that we do. We've studied, we've done all our CPD and been to all the blue box roadshows there ever been, you know, to make sure we're as good as we can be so that we don't make mistakes. And unfortunately, sometimes they happen. But when you, you're absolutely right, when you need to defend yourself, when you've got it right, and then the rug's pulled from underneath you, it's a horrible thing, you know, and we've got to find a way of of dealing with that and, and moving on. You know, I'm open about my claims. I ran a complaints and claims team when I had two claims. Ironically, on my very first job as a surveyor on my survey where I was just inexperienced and not very well supported. And then the last job before I then went to run a complaints team where quite frankly, I was moving house, getting married, starting a new job on the Monday and my eye was on the ball, you know, and it was it was a sloppy job. And they, they sit with me, but you've still got to move forward and everything's a... Uh, a learning learning experience but you're right there's the individual behind it who never went out to do a bad job but sometimes the circumstances there are 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 beyond your control and sometimes you're not set up for success Mm. you know we've talked about turning around a quick job what was going on in the background with the architect the conveyancer and co you know and you're just that unfortunate person that walks through the door just looking to to wrap up because it's been a really interesting discussion. I hope people who are who are listening have enjoyed our our ramblings and, and thoughts today. I'm mindful that there are surveyors out there either new into the profession or work for themselves and might be feeling quite anxious about all of this. So I'd like to just think about some words of advice that we can give to people. As we've been talking, I've made a few. I'm a few notes and you know if there's anything extra you want to, to add to this I've got know your competence and skill know what you what you do know and uh, and you don't know and in particular improve your knowledge of building construction know how they know how they work go on the courses get your hands stuck in connect with your clients really talk to your client understand understand the motivations behind them look at liability caps understand your terms you know, we often see people on the hub, you know, asking for, has anybody got a set of terms I can borrow? It's like, <laughs> it's like well, you can, but do you understand what the t- the purpose of the terms? And everybody will be different, but but understand your terms and, you know, and, and find out about li- liability caps. Read the home survey standard. Phil's invested a lot of time in that, in, in working on that. But read it and understand it and see it as an empowering tool to change your business or change the way that you work if if you feel that, that that's right for you. I think for me, talk about it. Talk about what's going on. You know, we like to have conversations in the hub, but talk to your to your peers about it and and but don't panic and don't put it in con- in context. I'm also mindful actually that this case has come out during a time of a global pandemic when everybody's feeling doom and gloom about everything. And then we've just had this horrible case come through, you know, but um, so don't panic and put it into context and really think about your approach to defensive reporting. 
because more caveats actually causes more problems because you didn't add in that additional caveats. And I've seen that happen, happen many times. So those are the bits that I wrote down from our conversation. Is there anything else that uh, any of you want, uh, want to add, John? I think I would just add to that. And we, we, we did mention it. Don't be rushed. Try not to be rushed. Clients can be a pain. Most of them can be managed. If you work for a corporate, I know you have a football game and I'm glad I don't. I'm not under pressure to turn something around tomorrow or the day after. But if you've got some doubts, if you've got, if it's taking you an hour longer on site than you anticipated, tell your client that. So look, it was a more complicated episode than expected. I did all my research. I looked on right move. I looked at the floor plan. But the photographs didn't show me this. They didn't show me that. And I did have to get my camera to look at that awkward valley gutter that I couldn't see and explain why it's going to take a bit longer. And then frame your caveats around that. Don't just go in with a blanket. I couldn't see this, couldn't see that, couldn't do this, couldn't do that. Don't buy it. That's not what the client wants to hear. They want to hear a rational, I've thought about this. I'm a bit concerned about that bit. It would be useful to be able to see it. You'll have to get some of your long ladders or whatever. And these are the consequences. I don't like the idea of just cutting something off at the knee saying, I couldn't see it, not going to certificate, don't buy it. Because yeah. the public aren't going to help. They're not going to thank us as a profession. You know, 20 years' time, most of us won't be around doing surveying. There's people coming through who want to be there in 20 years' time. They're not going to have word if all we're going to do is say, don't buy this because it's not got that. As I think it was Tim said, put it in context. Or, and Jeff said, you know, this is a complicated building. It's got this, that, and the other, I found, and that could lead to that. Yeah. Bear in mind, you know, I'm not saying don't buy it necessarily, but bear in mind if you do buy it and these three things fall into place and the stars align, you might end up with a big bill. Yeah. But don't be rushed. Take don't your time rush. to tell the client that. Uh, Leslie, anything from you? Well, I, I did listen to Malcolm Hollis's webinar last week and it, it would seem that the case was based on quite a lot of misinformation and... Um, like Jeff says, uh, another case, even if it was very similar, probably would not take the same route. So, and also, perhaps the reason the insurers and the surveyor went to court was because they thought, you know, if all the information had been corrected, got a really, really good case. So, yeah, perhaps, perhaps it is a one-off, and we, we've still got to keep doing our job. We've just got to do it the best we can. And, and on that, Leslie, remember that we do a really good job and we help an awful lot of people and we add value to people, um, you know, and, and what's going on for them in their lives. And we should not forget that. Anything from you, Tim? I don't think so. I think um, uh, you're summing up and one or two of the comments have, uh, have been really useful. Good. I, I don't usually write notes, but I was on the ball today. So <laughs> I feel quite proud of myself. <laughs> Jeff, anything from you? Yeah, I just think, you know, if you're new to the game, this this is a big bump in the road. We've, we've, we've had them before. There's shock absorbers in our profession. Do the set thing that you do and what you've been trained to do. It's the, the, the circumstances of this case are so bizarre in a way. And also, as a professional surveyor, you will make a mistake. And if you are out there now and you have made a mistake and you, you are dealing with a claim, there are loads of people out here that have been in the same boat as you. So it's not just you, <laughs> you know, it happens. So please, you know, if it does concern you at the moment, make sure you talk to somebody, uh, Lionheart or anything like that. This is what happens in professional surveying and it'll happen again and we'll bump over another bump and yeah. you know, we'll all keep bouncing around in the bus. So we'll Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, I think that's one of the 
most memorable things for me over this period has just been the outpouring of compassion and support. Whether you believe the surveyor made a mistake or not, what you know, even though we might all disagree on some of the aspects of the case and what happened and all of that, but the the support and compassion showed by surveyors to support another surveyor yep. who was in this situation has been has been really profound i think and the gofundme page as we that was was started to to donate has raised something like over 17,000 pounds yeah. which is just which is just fabulous and also what i've also seen in the hub is other surveyors sharing i've got this complaint or this has happened and the support that we've got there and i think at a time now more than ever we need to support each other and and that's been actually really rewarding from an outsider looking in I think, it, I think it's, it's a good lesson to be learned as well, and I hope the profession perhaps takes this on board, that if you ask to advise or even consider acting in a negligence case against the fellow professional, think twice, because you could be on the other end at some stage. And there are too many, and it's not just surveying, there's other professions that are the same. There are maybe too many people out there to try and kick somebody while they're down. I would always rather try and defend a surveyor than attack him, but you you do sometimes get to the point where you can't defend the indefensible, and it's better to be honest and say, look, you know, mm. you did make a bit of a mess of this. Let's try and get you out of it the best we can. But what I, what I don't like... All I'd like to see is a survey done by a barrister because it'd be a <laughs> thousand pages long and yeah. £150,000 and take nine months to produce. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But what, 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 we, what we, do need to, we do need to maybe perhaps watch each other's backs a bit more. Let's get each other's backs if you know, it's a tough job. And if, you, if you're doing a survey on a big old house on a wet winter's day, you know, it's not easy. And, well, and then, to, then, to go in, then to go into a courtroom and say, I would have done this, I would have done that. Well, you probably wouldn't, pal. You know, let's, let's be rational. So, I, so, John, I sense another podcast topic coming up <laughs> here because there is an element of, well, yes, we've all got to watch out for each other, but there's got to be real accountability and calling it out as well. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to think on a podcast for that, maybe. Let's have the final word from our very own Phil Parnham. Any thoughts? Buy a megaphone. <laughs> that, that would be my thought. And, and I don't say that in, you know, so you, ooh, so you can shout at the um, clients. But, but just so uh, you can make sure that if you come to a view, okay, then you tell your client clearly what that view is. Not, not hide it in the body of a report or mumble it over the phone or whatever, but, but just make it clear and upfront, a, a confident advice uh, that comes and arises from, you know, your inspection and, and analysis of the problem of the property. So that's super. Thank you all for your time, everybody, today. So thanks for listening to today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do love hearing your feedback. So please feel free to drop me a message. You can email me at marion.ellis at blueboxpartners.com or you can find me on social media at Marion Surveyor.